Welcome into NHL at the Rink, your weekly podcast covering all things NHL. I'm Dan Rosen, your host, and alongside me again to my right is Sean Rourke, becoming a regular co-host here, Sean. Honored to do it, as always. We have a lot to discuss, don't we? A few things have happened we in the have last week. week. We're going to focus on one market here as at the top of this show. The Toronto Maple Leafs, Mike Babcock, out. Sheldon Keefe is now the new coach, and we will have Mike Zeisberger our guy in Toronto, who is no, not really in Toronto right now. He is on a plane to Arizona as we record this. So he'll jump on with us in a little while to talk about this whole situation of Mike Babcock getting fired on Wednesday afternoon and Sheldon Keefe taking over. Look, the Leafs are in a tailspin right now. They're 0-5-1 in their last six. Five in a row they've lost in regulation. They've allowed 24 goals in that span They've been struggling at the start of games. Their special teams have not been good. And if you go back, Sean, they were 26-10-2 through their first 38 games last season. They're 29-28-8 since. This has been a problem all throughout the year of 2019 for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, I think part of it goes back to how they lost last year in the playoffs to the Bruins, right? Those scars in the year before even, those scars take a long time to heal. Uh, and then, you know, you talked about some of the numbers this year, and clearly they struggled in a lot of places. But to me, it was the way they looked in struggling, right? Teams are going to struggle. The Tampa Bay Lightning are struggling right now. I don't know that I'm worried about them yet, but they're 25th in the league. But you feel like they're going to pull out of it. You never felt like the Leafs were going to pull out of it because of the way they looked in how badly they were playing. Look at the 6-1 to one game that was the second-to-last game that Babcock coached against Pittsburgh. A backup goalie, which was one of their huge problems, they can't find one that can stop a puck because they're up against a salary cap. They need to protect that kid, and they couldn't do it. They were sloppy in their own end. At one point, they threw the puck right up the middle of the ice to the guy on the blue line for a wide-open shot. Like, they were passing it to him in the defensive zone, yeah. and they were all playing for the same team. I mean, those are things you can't live with with professional hockey players. It's one thing to lose. It's another thing to look awful and lose it. You know what it is? I mean, let's be honest. This is a clash of styles. The team is built one way, the way Kyle Dubas envisions this team being built, the general manager which is based on speed and skill, and that's how they're built. And obviously, Brendan Shanahan, the team president, who flew to Arizona to notify Mike Babcock of this decision in person because he's the one that hired him. He wanted to get there to do it. Obviously, Brendan Shanahan's on board with that speed and skill as the makeup for this team. Mike Babcock's a grinding type of coach. He needs speed and skill to win, but he wants a lineup that's going to battle hard, going to grind it out, and you, you hear him talk about that all the time. That's not the way the Toronto Maple Leafs are built. If you just look at the clash of styles, the way the team is built by the GM, the way the coach wants to coach, this was never going to work with this coach and this team. No, and it wasn't Dubas' guy. And look, I give I give Babcock a lot of credit in walking out the door. He said every GM deserves to have their coach, right? If you're going to build a team this way and you're going to stake your reputation on loading up those top two lines with all of your salary cap, basically, and handcuffing your team almost everywhere else, you need a coach that's going to put those guys out on ice. Look, Mike Babcock won a lot of games, won a lot of big games by playing the way that he believed things had to be played. His fourth line took every defensive zone faceoff in every game they played this year just about. Like, you got two centers making multi-multi-millions of dollars. They got to be able to win it. They, they can't draw. win a faceoff and get a little transition yeah. going. I, I think one of the things that Dubas expects from Keith because they go back so far, they go all the way back to junior hockey, uh, is that he's going to play 
a style that's more attuned to the players that Kyle has brought in. You you can't bring in a bunch of race cars and then play demolition derby. I understand, and I agree with that. However, I will say they went chasing after William Nylander, right? I mean, they they waited to sign him. It went long to the deadline in December, and and they got him done. And he becomes a seven million dollar player. They've got a ton of offense: Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Kapanen. Andreas Janssen, they got a lot of offense. What if they, why didn't they just let William Nylander go or trade him for something? And then you get, out of that $7 million, you get two $3.5 million players who can play the way Mike Babcock wants his team to play on a third and fourth line. Suit it a little bit for the coach. They didn't do that. He, he did, like, I, I understand the decision here, and I understand Kyle Dubas's way and how he's thinking and the way he wants his team to, to be built. But you have a coach that wants a little bit of one way, and you're not giving him any of it, and you have a lot of offense to me, and William Nylander is a terrific player. They could have sliced William Nylander up into a couple of players, and it would have been way better suited to have a more complete team because look at the way teams win in the NHL right now. Let's just look at the past champions. The Blues balanced all the way through their lineup. The Capitals balanced all the way through. The Penguins balanced all the way through. This Leafs team isn't even close to being balanced all the way through. But that Nylander decision wasn't made in a vacuum, right? Of course. That was a referendum on who Kyle was as a new GM. Was he going to let this transcendent talent leave Toronto and all the heat that went with that? He was backed into a corner. But I think you're right. He does believe in skill over over grit. He believes that a team that can skate fast, can think fast, can do everything fast, can outskate a, a gritty team um, hasn't been proven yet. But how many times has the league changed back and forth? Somebody has to be brave enough to say, I think this is the way it's going to work. And then when it does, they're hailed as, as a champion and as a forward thinker, right? When Who thought that the Blues would win with an old-school, big, not-as-fast lineup that's going to bang bodies everywhere? Nobody thought that was going to work, and then they won, and all of a sudden everybody's like, we got to get bigger, we got to get stronger, we got to get better along the boards. Well, when a fast team wins, somebody's going to be saying, and I'm not saying it's going to be Toronto, somebody's going to be saying, oh, well, we've got to build our team that way. And, and, and that's the thing. The Blues recognize, though, that the type of team they had, so they brought in a coach that fits that style. That's what Craig Berube is. He is that banger, you know, grind it out, you know, play a hard, heavy, physical game type of coach, and that's what they have. And maybe this is the, the Maple Leafs finally recognizing that they don't have that team, so they have to bring in a coach that suits the style that they have. What do we know about Sheldon Keefe? We know he's 39 years old, and we know he's had success with the Toronto Marlies. We know that he goes a ways back with Kyle Dubas in their OHL days. We also know that he's never coached a single day on a bench in an NHL. And that's very true, but he is the most successful coach in the history of the AHL by points percentage. He's at six. 97, I believe it is, during his four-plus years in, in Toronto. Won a championship. I, I We were up there for Hall of Fame weekend this past weekend on one of the off days because I pretty much can't get enough of hockey. I went to go watch the Marlies play <laughs> the Texas Stars. They won 8-2. to two. They flew everywhere over the ice. You look at the Toronto team, 10 of the 23 guys on that team played for Keefe. Uh, Dave McCarthy, one of our colleagues, went to the game last night when they were playing, talked to some players afterwards that are still down there, uh, Jeremy Bracco among them, and said, you know, what's this guy like? And the, the main quote that came out of it is, I would go through a wall for that guy. If you look at some of the players that have come up or some of the players that are on the cusp of coming up and you look at their trajectory as they've played for Keefe, 
every year their numbers go up, their abilities go up, what they're able to do, and their ability to go to Toronto and, and slide into the lineup. Like I said, there's 10 guys up there right now, and, and most of them, except for Nylander um, and Kapanen, are kind of those role guys that they need. Um, so I, I think he walks into a room where he's comfortable, Everybody knows who he is. Even the guys that don't have heard from the the players that have come up. And he knows exactly what his mandate is. It's to play the way way Kyle wants to play, Kyle Dubas. They've talked about it since they were riding buses together in the OHL. They know exactly what they want to do, and now they get to work hand-in-hand. Instead of pulling apart, they get to come together and make this vision happen. Yeah, and and obviously Keith's going to go in there, and there's going to be an airiness to it, too. It's going to be a little looser. The the players are going to be, you know, probably a little happier because it was a tight, you know, Babcock grinds on you. Let's be honest. I mean, he grinds on you. So that is going to be a benefit to him. He's going to, you know, and the only place really for this team to go with the way they've been playing is up. So that helps him as well. But here's the thing. Mike Babcock took the heat. Mike Babcock was the guy who in the Toronto market when things were not going well as they haven't been, he was the, the, the one, the whipping boy. He was the one that stood in front of it all. He protected Kyle Dubas. He protected Brendan Shanahan. He protected the players from that. Sheldon Keefe going to be able to do that, or does this now fall to Kyle Dubas? I don't think it falls to either. I, you know who I think it falls to? It falls to the players now. They have no more excuse. They can't say, oh, we don't like the coach. We don't believe we should be playing this way. The coach is gone whether you say that the players were implicit in it or not by the way they play. I think they were a little bit, yeah. He's now gone. Now it's up to the players. Hey, we can play this way, and we're going to be good at it. Well, they better be good at it. But I'll tell you what it is more than anything is it's the fans in Toronto, and I'm sure Zyz will have his opinion when we get him on. But when you think about the coaching carousel that's gone through there and the number of really qualified coaches that have gone through there, and by the time they finish in Toronto, they couldn't coach might hockey, according to the fan base. <laughs> Ron Wilson's the greatest American coach that probably ever lived. He drove an 18-wheeler off a cliff by the end. He couldn't do anything, right? He's never coached another game. Randy Carlisle, pretty good coach. Incompetent in Toronto. They had to get him out of there. He was no good. That is a tough demand, and they never really turn on the players. It's never the players' fault. No, never the players' fault. Well, let's get Zyze on right now to have him talk about all this. He's fresh off the plane. This news comes down yesterday. What was your initial reaction on the news that Mike Babcock has been fired and Sheldon Keefe hired? Well, I, I think, you know, we've known for a while if the hiccups kept coming uh, that this would probably be uh, happen. I mean, when you look at the uh, foundation of this organization, so you got Kyle Dubas who hired Sheldon Keefe in St. Marie of the OHL, he Dubas goes to the Leafs, Sheldon Keith goes to the Marlies, and when other NHL teams start knocking on their door, they make uh, Sheldon Keith one of the highest-paid AHL coaches. So we kind of knew he was there and waiting. Um, you know, Mike Babcock has success. Uh, you know, you're not going to remove him. The thing that I'm most surprised about is the timing. And here's why, guys. Um, you know, a lot of people think he should have been gone after the playoff loss to the Bruins. Um, there seemed to be, just by the optics, uh, you know, the general manager and, and the head coach didn't seem to be seeing eye to eye. But you know what? I mean, 
Mike Babcock's got the type of resume, and I think Je- Brendan Shanahan, who hired him in the first place, thought, we better keep this guy. Fine. Um, but if you're going to not fire him then, why would you not have fired him after that moribund, awful 6-1 to one loss in Pittsburgh? Instead, you let him come out here. Um, they play actually played pretty well. I mean, Marc-Andre Fleury making a save for the ages to keep the game from going into overtime. And then you let the guy run a practice yesterday, and then you come all the way out here to, to tell him that he's fired. And now Sheldon Keith comes here, and guess what? Tonight uh, you play a Coyotes team that is the second-best defensive team in the league. And then you go to Colorado, uh, a team that's one of the highest-scoring teams in the league. So I just thought that, you know what, if you, were gonna, if you really wanted to do it now, why wouldn't you have done it either after the Pittsburgh game or waited until this road trip was over uh, when they went home on Sunday? Where you have a window to kind of implement some stuff. But yeah. what, what do you think – the Leafs are going to look like now, right? One of the big narratives out of this whole thing is that that Mike had lost the room, that they didn't, the players, the key players didn't agree with the way the game was being played. What do we see from the Leafs under under Sheldon Keefe? Well, number one, and I, I'll say this in a positive way, uh, in terms of what influence he will have, is that if you look at the guys, if if you include the guys that are injured. Um, there's 14 guys that have played for Sheldon Keefe on the Maple Leafs roster. There will probably be 10 of them in the lineup tonight. So they know what to expect. They know how this guy is going to, you know, adjust during the games. And so it's not going to be an unfamiliar voice for a lot of these guys. Now, you know, you can't rebuild Rome in a day. Uh, I don't think that he's going to – alter from the system, so to speak. What you might see, though, is a lot more flexibility. What I'm fascinated to see, I mean, we've heard all the soap opera about Austin Matthews' ice time. All of a sudden, instead of four lines, does Austin Matthews, does John Tavares, do those guys get um, more ice time? I'm not saying like the type that Dreisaitl and uh, McDavid are getting in Edmonton, but, you know, are they going to get increased ice time? Uh, as well, the guy I'm going to be watching out for is Tyson Berry. We, he, look at Tyson Berry just didn't not learn how, not know how to play hockey all of a sudden. He's, he's, he lacks confidence, but I still have a lot of faith in this guy that he is a very talented player. So, you know, all of a sudden, are you going to put him on the on the power on the first power play as opposed to the second power play? Maybe you know what? If you still want Morgan Riley on the first power play. Put them both out there. I mean, I know uh, having two defensemen on the first power play has gone the way of the dodo, but, uh, you know, that, that, I don't see anything wrong with that. So those are the little things, I think, in this opening game that I'm going to be watching um, that kind of stray off the beaten path from what uh, Richard Mike Babcock had uh, been doing with the Leafs, uh, you know, for the past couple of years. Mike, I, I want to circle back. I think the first point that you made was the most interesting one, and you said that you know maybe Matthews and Tavares get more time, but not McDavid and Drysaddle time. 
why not? Why wouldn't you play Matthews and and Marner when he's healthy and Nylander and, and these guys that you've sunk so much money into? Why not just ride them until they fall? Well, number one, Sean, I don't think they have to because you just said it yourself. I mean, they actually, if, if you talk about, uh, you know, Nylander, Marner, when it gets back, Tavares and, uh, and Matthews, of course, you've got four four courses that you can ride as opposed to the two. So you can put that ice time up a bit. I mean, uh, if, you know, if McDavid, I mean, would, wouldn't that kind of be unprecedented? If McDavid and Dreisaitl are getting 29 minutes a game, you play those four guys 29 minutes and you play them together, um, they're over 60 minutes. My The math on my abacus says that's 58 out of 60 minutes. Um, why interest the other <laughs> two guys and maybe the Leafs can't you know that's how they'll find cap space they'll just eliminate an entire line and then they can get a backup goalie but uh you know I, I is in that in that respect yeah but I also think that he's going to be and, and by he I mean Sheldon Keith he's going to be looking for guys that actually can provide some things that maybe he hasn't seen or we haven't seen before you know which guys can go out there and grind? And the other thing, which, which let's face it, the Leafs have been lacking sorely with. And the other thing is, um, you know, they've got to get this penalty kill in order. I mean, giving up, giving up a power play goal in eight consecutive games, I think there's going to be a lot of experimentation as to who uh, starts killing penalties. And we might see guys uh, on the penalty kill that we haven't seen there before. I mean, to me... Uh, the slate is clean for a lot of these players. Uh, and, and therefore, um, you know, what we've seen, guys, the roles that guys have played, other than that top four that I discussed uh, earlier, uh, I, th- I really think that, uh, you know, we're going to see some mixing and matching here uh, to whatever fits, uh, you know, Sheldon's uh, system or what he, who he thinks is playing well and who he doesn't. I gotta ask you though. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big picture guy's eyes, and I wouldn't be surprised in the short term if we see an uptick from the Toronto Maple Leafs. You tend to do see that when there is a coaching change, but in the long run, in the big picture of this team, are they built to win this season? That's the expectation. Do you think that they are built to win this season? You talk all about who might get into this, you know, get more ice time, who might play different roles. Do they have guys to do that? Are they built to win this season? The key question here, Dan, is win what? Okay. Um, if you're asking me if they can make the playoffs, I think that the, I'm going to go back to something I said in the preseason. I think this team, from raw talent perspective, from the top guy to the bottom guy, this is the most God-given skill that I've ever seen a Leaf team have in terms of skating, shooting, passing. All right? Okay, uh, so, you know, could they even win a round? Yes. Do I think, you know, and a lot of people before the season call them a Stanley Cup contender, can they win a Stanley Cup or get to the final four or even the final with this roster? I have questions about it because when I look at this roster, it is almost put together like a hockey pool roster. Um, you know, how many points can you get out of these guys? Uh, yada, yada, yada. I still don't think there's enough grind. 
there's enough grit, there's enough sandpaper on this team, and I don't mean we got to go back to the Flyers of the mid-'70s, anything like that. But you look at the last two Stanley Cup winners, Tom Wilson, Exhibit A, and the St. Louis Blues, who I covered for three rounds last year, uh, Exhibit B. Um, there still is a place for north-south hockey in this league. And so, you know, that's what I'm fascinated with Sheldon Keefe. Is he going to be able to get some of these guys to get a get bit grittier? But as the construction of the team exists right now, um, I have some doubts as to whether the roster, as it sits today, uh, can win a Stanley Cup. You can follow Zyze on Twitter, at Zyzeberger. And, Sean, one thing we didn't get into with Zyze is the next thing for Mike Babcock. And I wonder, is there a team right now in the NHL that would fire their coach in season, this season, to hire Mike Babcock? We saw it with the Montreal Canadiens a couple of years ago. They fired Michelle Therrien and hired Claude Julien a week after the Boston Bruins fired Claude Julien. And a number of years ago, uh, the Capitals fired Bruce Boudreaux, and two days later the Ducks fired Randy Carlisle so they could hire Boudreaux, and they did. So what do you think? Is there a team that would do this right now? Well, I think with both those teams, the underlying point was they believed that they had playoff teams. I think that's the only reason you push all your chips in and say, we're going to make this play because it's going to cost you money, it's going to cost you term, and it's for short play, right? you got to get in the playoffs. I don't think a rebuilding team is saying, hey, why don't you come? They can wait for the summer for yeah, that. Yeah, not in season, yeah. Yeah, so now you're looking at high-profile teams that you thought were going to be good that are struggling a little bit. Of course, the teams that kind of pop into your mind are Nashville, who haven't been as good this month as they were the first month of the season. And, and you know, is is Peter Laviolette's message getting a little dog-eared there? And you look at Calgary, who's kind of fallen off the face of the earth um, after being so good last year. Um, I don't see a fit for either one of those, and I don't know. Maybe you have somebody else you're thinking of, but I, I see Mike Babcock – relaxing and, and cashing some checks for a while before he re-energizes and gets back into the game. Yeah, I see the same thing. I think that that's certainly a possibility. But you touched on Nashville, and look, we're not in the business of firing coaches here. We're not doing that. But Peter Laviolette has been known to be a guy who you know has, runs his course uh, with his teams. He has been with the Nashville Predators. This is the longest stop he's had. It's 430 games as we record this now. He coached 323 with Carolina, 272 with the Flyers, 164 with the Islanders. So this is his longest stop, and now you look at Nashville. This is a team that is better than its record. There's no question about it. They're 0-4-1 in their past five, and their offense is struggling. Worse yet, their defense is struggling, and this is a team that's built to be good defensively. They allowed that nine spot to Colorado, seven against Chicago, you know, so it, it, it has been struggling there for them. So I do wonder if there is a team that's going to do this, fire their coach to hire Mike Babcock for the short-term gain of this season, the window being what it is, wide open still for the Predators, they would be the team I'd look at. That being said, I just don't know if Mike Babcock is going to want to go somewhere right now or if he just wants to do a little skiing and a little suntanning, and, uh, you know, that's it. What happened to Patience? <laughs> the Predators have been one of the best teams in the league for years. No patience anymore. For years. They hit a little little bump in the road, and we're going to segue right from this into Dallas. So the Stars opened the season like one, a train seven wreck. seven and one. Like a train wreck. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, maybe Montgomery was the wrong guy, blah, 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 blah. Now you can't beat him. 
The Nashville Predators are a good hockey team. They're having a tough month. That's not Peter Laviolette's fault. Let them work it out. Let the players, I said this earlier, let the players take some responsibility for once and say, we're going to figure this out. I don't care if I don't like what the coach is saying anymore. I'm going to go figure it out because I'm a professional. Well, and that is David Poyle's style. Their general manager there in Nashville is it's got two coaches in that long tenure there. It's Barry Trotz and Peter Laviolette. So most likely you're right. Most likely David Poyle's not going to overreact here and fire the coach. I was just thinking, you know, he's a guy, Laviolette, who has been known to have a, a shelf life wherever he's been. And has that shelf life come up now in Nashville? I think it's a fair question sure. with the way the Predators have been playing. But you brought up Dallas. Look, I mean, 11-1-1 one one since October 19th when they woke up with a 1-7-1 record. 8-0-1 in their last nine games. An NHL blessed NHL best plus 21 goal differential since October 19th for the Dallas Stars. This is now the team that we expected them to be, and you're getting goal production now from Jamie Benn, Tyler Sagan's producing. They're winning a ton of face-offs. Uh, they're generating possession. Like you said, have a little patience, right? Patience. Guns N' Roses sang about it. Patience. It's the key to everything, <laughs> man. And you know what the other key is? A good goaltender. Ben Bishop is unbeatable right now. He's playing to like a 938 save percentage. When they were 1-7-1, he was playing to a 918. No, he's at 948 now. It's a it's a .30 difference. That makes all the difference in the world. Let a goalie find his footing, and you're off to the races. It makes everybody look better. And we're going to stay in the Central Division. We're going to talk now about the Chicago Blackhawks, who've been pretty good of late, 5-1-1 in their last seven games. We're going to go to Tracy Meyer. She covers the Blackhawks for us at NHL.com. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, gentlemen. How are you doing? Doing well. So let's get right to it. You covered a veteran coach getting fired last season, around the same time of this season, actually, Joel Quenville, and a new coach fresh to the NHL, Jeremy Colleton, off of the AHL bench, never been on the NHL bench, coming in. And now, obviously, we have the, the news with Mike Babcock and Sheldon Keefe. So... What do you remember from that, and, and what, were the, what were the players talking about at that time? What were the expectations, the market? What was that like, and can you compare it at all to what we're seeing now in Toronto? I, 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 think, you, I, I think you absolutely can compare it. I mean, just first of all, when you look at the pedigree of the two coaches who were outgoing, and uh, with, with Mike Babcock, cup winner in Detroit, Olympic gold medals, and then, of course, you have Quenville here with uh, three Stanley Cups and uh, now 900 victories. Uh, but, uh, you know, obviously you have that and you also have, uh, you know, the familiarity, easy for me to say, of each team with said coach. And for Quenville, it was longer. It was 10, 11 years here with a lot of the guys that uh, were familiar with them. So uh, it, it's definitely a, an upheaval for those teams. And, uh, you know, for Jeremy Colliden, and he actually spoke on this earlier today, uh, just he, he knows exactly the situation that Sheldon is in because that was him last year uh, coming in and uh, new job and following a very venerable coach. And uh, he understood the, the situation. He knew that all eyes were going to be on him. He knew that, uh, you know, following that act was not going to be easy. But as he said, he had to embrace it because this is the opportunity that he was getting and uh, that's how he had to approach it because the pressure of, of following somebody like that has got to be unbelievable. Did he give any insight to what the most difficult part is, especially when you're changing gears as both these teams are, are 
have done or are going to do from more of a defensively responsible older school hockey to kind of a, a newer school way of thinking. Uh, it, when Jeremy talked, did he talk at all about what the most difficult part of the transition was for him and the team? I, I think the biggest, the, the most difficult thing, and it kind of goes to what you were talking about, is it's changing the mindset, changing the system of, of a team that's been used to something for so long. And again, we're talking about Taves, Kane, Keith, Seabrook, Crawford. There's at least five guys who were in system for 10 11 years and the other thing was and Collison spoke to this was you're also trying to do this when you're already what 25 games into the season uh that's the other tough part is okay uh, you know when you're coming into a training camp you've got this time and you've got time to teach you've got time to coach you've got time to talk you don't have that time right now and oh by the way you're also still trying to get into the playoffs so uh, I think it's a time issue was the biggest thing that Colleton was talking about is the biggest challenge because it's, it's enough of a challenge to already have to change so many things, but you're really up against it with the clock because there is no time to really do it. So Jeremy's had a little bit of time to teach. He's had a summer to digest everything. What's the biggest difference with the Chicago Blackhawks now compared to last year? Um, no, I, I think one of the things is is that he was doing a lot of, uh, as far as defense, he was doing a lot more of a, uh, a man-to-man on the defense and instead of the zone. And things have changed a little bit. Um, you know, they, they've kind of altered things here because they were struggling so much defensively and also the offense wasn't, uh, wasn't happening. So they've kind of loosened up on uh, defensively a little bit just to kind of give the offense a little bit more of a chance to – thrive and also uh they were playing a defensive mode where they had four guys deep and uh that was causing them to get pinned in too much and it was causing them to get it was very difficult for them to clear out and set up a transition to the offensive zone so they've changed that just since uh i would say in the last seven or eight games because they needed the offense to get going again and it has so um you know there's been a few things that call it in change and he's also understood that he has to change on the fly when things aren't working and he's been able to do that i wonder tracy if what you were just saying speaks directly it certainly seems like it does to jonathan taves he had two points a goal and an assist through the first 11 games this season he's got nine points in the last 10 games and we we know he put up career high numbers last season struggled at the start of this season is what you were just talking about that change in philosophy a little bit has that opened up Taves's game it's opened up his game I think it's also opened up uh well not that Patrick Kane seems to need any help from year to year (laughs) because he seems to find a way to pull it off but uh but he's back to looking like Patrick Kane also I think it's a nine game point streak that he's on uh it's helped Dylan Strome it's helped Alex Debrink at um it absolutely has helped these guys. But, no, you're, you're seeing it in Taves when he is scoring points. You're also seeing in the in the opportunities he's getting. Uh, I think he's had a lot better scoring opportunities. And I would also say the same about Brandon Saad, even though Saad's uh, been a little snake bit lately. You look at some of the scoring opportunities that he has had. Uh, a couple uh, against uh, Carolina in uh, the last game where he's had some breakout opportunities and stuff. So, um they needed to loosen the reins a little bit on the offense. I mean, the defense is still going to be a concern. They're still giving up way too many shots per game. Uh, I think there was 34 again against uh, Carolina the other night. So um, that's going to be a concern, I think, throughout the season. But they needed to get the offense going, and now they are. Yeah, I mean, 5-1-1 one, and one in their last seven games with 30 goals. But 
But you look at the schedule coming up, Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. two against Dallas, back-to-back against Colorado, then the Blues, then Boston. This, Tracy, seems like the stretch where we find out if these Blackhawks have really turned a corner or if it's just going to be another one of those seasons, I think. Uh, yeah, there, there's no doubt. And I, I said the same thing even when they were going into uh, Vegas and Nashville. Uh, which they ended up winning both those games. And I know Nashville is struggling and, and Vegas was struggling at the time. But, yeah, the, the, schedule, the upcoming schedule is really going to be a test starting with Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, the, the Tampa Bay game from last year is still kind of sticks in the Blackhawks' craw because they allowed, uh, the second period especially, they allowed 33 shots uh, on goal in the second period in that game last year. Wow. It, was, uh, it was one of the low points. And, uh Really tough game, uh, especially for Cam Ward, uh, who, who retired. But um, that might have ended him. Is, <laughs> it, yeah. Well, I, I said my joke to somebody. I said I'm, I'm thrilled that he came out for the third period because <laughs> I wonder if he thought about it. <laughs> wow. But uh, yeah, you you've got like you said, you've got Dallas who is really hot right now. You've got Colorado who I'm really impressed with the way Colorado has handled their injuries. And uh, you know, when when you take off two thirds of your top line and uh, you're still able to get through. You know, you're finding that secondary scoring and everything, and, and Dallas is getting it all together, too. So big test for the Blackhawks. And, you know, it's Thanksgiving time, right? This is the time of year where people start seeing where uh, teams are in the standings, and if they aren't in the playoff spot, what are the chances of them making it? So this is going to be a big push for them right now. Well, fortunately, in the last couple of years, that narrative's changed a little bit. St. Louis turned it on its ear. They were nowhere near a playoff spot at Thanksgiving, and they ended up being the last team standing. Um, But another team that kind of turned that corner last year and has stayed in the playoff hunt is Carolina, and you saw them this week. And and I'm curious what your thoughts are, and I know you're working on a piece on, on Dougie Hamilton, who to me is one of the most underrated defensemen in the league and, and has blossomed even more, I think, since he's gotten to Carolina. Yeah, he uh, he talked about the opportunity that he's getting this year. Uh, you know, he's and as Rod Brindamore said, he's already – he always did play a pretty big role no matter where he is, but he's more comfortable this year because this is his second year with the team, and he knows the systems. He's comfortable with his surroundings. Him and Jacob Slavin have formed a great pair, getting uh, on the first power play, getting more minutes. I mean, all of it's working. And, uh, you know, uh, if if not for the great John Carlson start in Washington, Dougie Hamilton's probably getting more credit for his points, 23 points in 21 games. So, uh, you know, it's been incredible for him, and, just Carolina altogether, um, I think the thing I really realized about them watching them in person the other night is, man, they're fast. <laughs> they're, they're fast. They're quick. They're uh, tenacious. And um, I know Rod Brindamore talked about it the other day that he's a coach, right? He's going to be uh, aggravated at the things that aren't working more than uh, pleased with the things that are. And, and he said this team is still making some of those young mistakes. Um, but they weren't making many the other night. So, uh, you know, I, I really like the way Carolina is, is developed this season, and, uh, yeah, they're, they're going to be tough to deal with. You know, I, I think the key sentence or the key phrase you used in there when you were describing it, you are talking, you made them sound a lot like Toronto, who we've been talking about the whole time. They're young, they're fast, <laughs> but then you threw in the third word, which is tenacious, and they got all the <laughs> way to the Eastern Conference Final last year, and, and a lot of that was because of how tenacious they were, how physical they were, how they could stand up to teams, how they stand it up, how they stood up to the Capitals. Um, you know, is that 
even something that Chicago's looking to, to bring in a little more into their system as as they try and round that corner? I, I think so. You know, you've got, you know, when, when you talk about that tenaciousness, and I, I just look at this team, and you've got, you know, the guys who have been there, done that before, and, and certainly still want to win. But I, I think that tenacity part of it comes from that desire to, like you said, get to the playoffs, try and win a Stanley Cup. And there's a good amount of guys on this team who have not done that, who really want to do it. The Connor Murphys, the DeBrinkets, the Stroms, some of these guys who, the Robin Leonard's now, you know, these guys who realize, uh, you know, the possibilities out there. And uh, and I think that's a big part of it. But yeah, the, the Blackhawks, um, you know, especially offensively, have uh, have always been, you know, such an incredible force to reckon with. And they're kind of getting back to that point now. Uh, like I said, the the one concern is is the defense, and uh, you know they they need to cut down the chances, they need to cut down the quality opportunities. But uh, no, there, there's never enough tenaciousness you can add to a game for sure. Absolutely, Tracy, and and we're gonna find out absolute uh, about these Blackhawks, the gauntlet coming up with Tampa Bay, the Dallas games, the Colorado games, the Blues, the Bruins. We'll find out if they're turning the quarter or not. Tracy, thanks for joining us. All right. Thanks, gentlemen. You can follow Tracy on Twitter at Trey Myers underscore NHL. And, Sean, one player we did not ask Tracy about was Kirby Doc, the rookie for the Blackhawks, who's having himself a little point streak here. Five-game streak, seven points, four goals, three assists during the streak. And I think you could start to make the case that Kirby Doc is at least in the discussion for among the candidates for the Calder Trophy. I think so. Look, we just did ours. Uh, they're going up this week. It's the quarter mark of the season, which is unbelievable. Amazing. And, yeah. and so we, we visited that, and uh, he only got one vote, um, but I think it's because he started the season injured. I saw him at uh, Traverse City at the rookie camp, and he was a man among boys, but then he, he got hurt in the game uh, late in that tournament, had a concussion, didn't start the season on time, took a little while to get his feet wet. You know, I, I think he's getting there. Look, nobody's really going to be in that conversation because we did that, and Kale McCarg got all 20 first place votes and he's, as he and should. Is running away f- with it so he may climb up a little bit he won't be one point at the halfway point at the halfway mark of the season but uh, I, I don't see those top guys yeah. of Kale and Quinn Hughes falling off and kind of letting the pack back in and as we dive into a trophy let's dive into a trophy tracker talk here and we'll we'll continue with that Calder like I obviously had McCarr he, he's got 23 points five goals 18 assists this season he's averaging 19 and a half minutes he's been terrific and he should be the number one I had four defensemen in my top five the only forward I had was actually Victor Olofsson but that could change at the halfway point Doc might find his way in there at the halfway point the question is will Capo Caco find his way in there will Jack Hughes find his way in there and it's been a little bit different for those two yeah for sure and look when I look at Jack Hughes compared to all the other forwards that we've talked about he he has no shelter with the way that the Devils are constituted at this time he's not sheltered at all he's playing big minutes against big lines and and he's suffered Uh, he's not been as good as people thought he would be I think he's going to be that good I think he's going to learn very quickly how to handle the matchup the matchups that he's been given but to get to back to your point about the defenseman I had three in the top five and the change in the NHL in the last five years I think it's that quickly Remember when defensemen used to come into the league and they couldn't play until they were 25 because it was so hard to learn how yeah. to play defense? Yes. You could form a top six in the NHL right now of under 23 defensemen that would rule the world. And I just, the game has changed so much, and the young kids that have come up have been so unbelievable that you don't even think about playing a young defenseman anymore. Yeah, the four I had were obviously McCarr, 
Quinn Hughes, Ethan Bear, and Adam Fox. I, was I the only one that had Adam Fox? You were the only one, and I just couldn't fit him in. I, I like what Adam Fox has done for the Rangers, but uh, I, I, I had Hughes and Olofsson were my two forwards. Okay. So let's continue with the trophy tracker. Let's look at the Jack Adams because I wanted to talk about the New York Islanders. And can Barry Trotz win it again? I think yes. He's my favorite for that. What do you think on that? I mean, can, can you do it back-to-back? Yeah, I think so because he hasn't changed his team at all. Normally, when you, normally this is a an award for a coach who inherits a bad team, right? Always. Like when you when you did it before the season, you're like, oh, maybe it's Kruger in Buffalo, maybe it's Hines in New Jersey. Tip they're, it. They're yeah. teams that have to go up, but the Islanders are the same team that they were before. Uh, they got into the playoffs. They knocked off the Penguins. Uh, they didn't really change much, and they lost Laner, who was a big part of their success. And and they're better this year. And they're on a 15-game point streak right now. They've come back against some of the best teams in the league. You know, they're they're better offensively than they were. I, I think you have to give I think you have to give Barry Trotz all the credit in the world. And I, I he's one of the favorites right now to win that award. You know, you bet. You, you said it. They're better offensively because. Look, my question going into the season was, would they be as good defensively as they were last year? They gave up 2.33 per game goals per game last year, which was the best in the league. They, they didn't have Laner anymore, and he was a Vezina finalist, and I get that, so they bring in Varlamov, and it's a system team for a system goalie, and I understand that. But if they struggled at all defensively, even if that dropped a little bit, you know, if that goals against went up a little bit, I should say, where was the, the upgrade on offense that would allow them to make up for it? Well... Derek Broussard's got 15 points, you know. Uh, they're averaging 3.21 goals per game. I'm, like, slapping myself in the face for doubting a Barry Trotz, Lou Lamarillo team. And nobody could make Derek Broussard fit, right, after he got traded. Signed on he, August 21st. I know, but he went to Pittsburgh. And they couldn't find a fit for him. Like, I, I think that's the beauty of, of Barry Trotz or any of these coaches that kind of inherit middling teams is their ability to slot players into where it makes sense. And I think that's one of the brilliant things about Lou Lamarillo. He waited until August. He got him on the cheap, but he knew he was a veteran guy that could fit in somewhere in their system and, and – He's delivered wonderfully for them. And an underrated aspect of the Islanders, we, we always talk about how good their their defense is, their team defense. Their defensemen and how they transition out of the zone, uh, it, it, very underrated. Nick Letty is one of the best skaters in the league. Ryan Pulak has really improved his skating. Scott Mayfield the same way. Devon Taves. So these guys, I think they do a terrific job in just moving the puck out, and that's part of the system. Like Keep it to the outside, and when you have the opportunity, let's get it out quick. And let's get on the move the other way. Yeah, and we talked about goalies a little bit. That was the other one that there was a little bit of uh, dissension or, or not everybody was on the same boat um, as far as the Vezina trophy tracker. You know, I had Darcy Kemper as, as the number one. I, you could almost throw him in the MVP conversation right now when you think about Arizona and where they would be without him. Um, and, and there was a lot at play there. I know you had a different guy. Yeah, I had Connor Hellebuck because I'm looking at the Winnipeg Jets defense. And I'm saying, my goodness, this is at times barely looks like an NHL defense. And Connor Hellebuck, as we record this, has got a 930 save percentage and a 2.35 goals against average. He's faced the second most shots in the league, one behind David Riddich. He's got the most saves in the league, and there are seven goalies who've played more minutes than him. So he, he's getting a lot of shots. The Jets allow 33.5 shots per game. And he has been really good. That's why he's my number one guy for that. And Kemper's good, but I, I got to give it to help. 
Well, and then we have one more trophy tracker that's pretty interesting that we need to talk about, and that's the heart. So let me tell you this. It's not going to run until Saturday, uh, but there's two guys from the same team, or one and two. I think you can figure out who it is. Well, I don't know. Can you? Because it, it could be two different teams. It could, right? but I, I think we all know who it is. Uh, it's that team up north in Edmonton. Yep. I'm not going to tell you who's one and who's two, but uh, I can't remember the last time that two players have have been in the top three for MVP. And the most shocking thing is I didn't vote for either one of them. <laughs> I, I had McKinnon. I didn't even have McKinnon in my top five. That shows you how deep this is. I had Dreisaitl one, McDavid two, Pasternak three, John Carlson four, and Brad Marchand five. And the reason I went Dreisaitl over McDavid, it, it's such a small margin, but he has one more point, one more goal. He's, he's doing more at even strength. McDavid's got a lot more on the power play. Drysaddle's got more at even strength, so I give him a little bit more there. He's winning. He takes more faceoffs. He wins more faceoffs. Uh, so those little little bits, those little increment details, they matter for me. That's why when Drysaddle won, you could sell me an argument on Connor McDavid, and I would probably buy it. You could probably sell me an argument on Nathan McKinnon. I didn't even have him in my top five. Well, just because of the way they've been hurt, and I personally won't put two guys from the same team on my ballot because an MVP Sean has rules an MVP is an MVP he's the guy that makes the team go and if you had to pick one from the Oilers it's McDavid who who would they cry more over if they lost it'd be Connor McDavid without a doubt there's stuff that he can do that doesn't show up on the scoreboard that as good a player as Dracidal is is isn't the same so we'll be arguing about it for another three quarters of the yeah, season we got 75 percent more to go and that'll do it for this week we had a lot to discuss obviously with the news in toronto so hope you enjoyed the listen if you did please rate review us go on there do that help us out rate and review us and maybe we'll have a lot more to discuss next week right sean and a lot more reviews a lot more reviews hopefully so until next week enjoy the games <laughs>